A few mornings ago, I stood at the kitchen counter cutting apple slices for me and the kids. I sorted them out, putting the ones with bruises or the ones that had been cut too close to the core and had the seed shape all together in a pile. Those would be mine. The others would be theirs. Without much thought, I gave them the good parts because they are my kids and it's a small way to love them. They've asked if they can skip bruise bits. They don't like the texture of the seed-shaped bite. Can you have that part? They ask. And I might not have even noticed this new tendency of mine, were it not for this passage being in my mind because we'd be talking about it together. This is Matthew chapter 7, the third chapter of Matthew's recording of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, starting in verse 7. Jesus says, Ask and it'll be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is doing a lot in the Sermon on the Mount, more than we'll cover together. He's elaborating on life in the kingdom of God. He's claiming authority as God's representative. He's fulfilling the law. But he's also clarifying and correcting the ways that people had missed it. Missed it because in their assumptions about what God is like or what God will do, they've preemptively blocked certain possibilities from their imaginations. I was actually struck by this in the academic books I read about this very passage. The amount of hand-wringing that these scholars have about how we can't just ask for anything and we need to ask for the things that align with what God wants us to ask. And the door is clearly the door to salvation. Well, it's not, actually. Ask, seek, knock are a trio of images that Jesus uses to keep inviting us to approach God. They don't have three unique meanings. Jesus is being metaphorical, picturing us as ones who will just not give up in approaching our tender God. And so my question is, what if Jesus just meant what he said? N.T. Wright, thankfully, reflects from this same starting point. I've actually joked to Curtis that we probably need a segment in the backdrop episodes where we introduce you all to our go-to scholars for anyone who is thinking, who's this N.T. Wright again and why do they talk about him so much? He's a scholar, British, brilliant, good stuff. So anyway, N.T. Wright names what I think a lot of us feel as we read this. Does Jesus really mean it? That God is like a parent longing to give children what they want and need. Can we truly take God up on such remarkably open-ended promises? We should, he says. And he continues by saying, It would be a shame to tone down one of the most sparkling and generous promises in the Bible. Again, Jesus is clarifying and correcting the ways that people had missed God, even at times in the pursuit of religious purposes. And so in this section today, but also through the whole sermon, One more thing Jesus is doing is saying, God's like a good parent. You can trust God because of God's goodness. In fact, I would encourage you sometime, read all three chapters of the sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, all together. Just notice how Jesus is building his case for living in a kingdom way, 
on the foundation of God as our good parent. Jesus talks about a kingdom, but doesn't say God, our king. He says God, our father. And so often then and now, people see God more as a faceless bureaucrat than a tender parent. But how we see God, what we believe God is like, strongly influences our own responses to God and to this promise. So if I say to you now that we should trust God, follow God's ways, love God, or pray to God, you are only likely to do any of those things if first you see God as trustworthy, wise, loving, and approachable. And Jesus sure thinks God is. Because why else would you ask, seek, and knock? So Jesus says, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? I know how to sort the apples. It's a good gift for my kids. And because God is so tender to us, so good to God's core, how much more does God know how to give good things? Notice, though, that Jesus does not say, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, won't just give them the bread? Or if the child asks for a fish, won't just give them the fish? Jesus doesn't promise that God is ready to give us exactly what we asked for, but rather that God is ready to give us good things. Michael Green puts it this way, God does not mock our prayers. A stone instead of bread, a snake instead of fish— Those answers hurt because they mock the request of the child who's asked their parents to help them meet a need. And in our gut, the image of God that echoes God's intention for all of life, it just compels us to say, no, you don't do that. And yet, we have to acknowledge the mystery that God's answers really don't align with our requests a lot of the time. And I think it is true that God's wisdom about greater or future, or unseen good impacts what happens when we ask. And I think it is true that sometimes all of those realities sure make it feel like God didn't answer at all. And that makes it harder to keep asking. But Jesus does seem to say that we should keep asking. It's the first and last word of the section, ask and it'll be given to you, he begins, And how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask? He finishes. Perhaps, like I mentioned, though, we don't ask because we're not sure we can trust the one we're supposed to ask. Perhaps precisely because we haven't seen the answers we hoped for in the past. And in that case, I have to say, I think the only way forward is through. It's to ask again. To reconnect to at least one good thing about God that you can trust. Hold on tight and ask. But perhaps at other times we don't ask simply because of natural human reluctance. Maybe because of our experiences with asking before or what we were told when we were young about whether we should be asking or just be a little bit quieter. Our culture has a value of independence that is such that asking a favor is always a thing. Maybe if pressed, we'd say it feels selfish because we think that God has bigger things to attend to than what we would ask for anyway. I mean, look at all that's going on in the world. N.T. Wright again. Maybe our refusal to ask actually makes God sad or puzzled. Why aren't my children telling me how it is for them, what they'd like me to do for them? 
Sure, some folks would ask for the outrageous. But for most of us, he writes, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is that we are not nearly eager enough to ask for the right things. And right things, by the way, are not some vague spiritual traits we think God prefers that we request. The right things to ask for are the normal things we actually want. Good friends, work that provides for us, patience with trying people, enough of what we need, a sense that we're loved. Now, as a relevant theological tangent here, this is where it matters if we believe that people, because of sin, are no longer good, which is called total depravity. Alternatively, we can believe that while sin does affect who we are, it never destroys the image of God at our core. God's image within us remains so that we still want good things and we can trust the good things we notice about ourselves. When we get told you can't trust yourself to just accept this promise from Jesus, you'll ask for a Tesla and for God to smite that old boss and God will just be like, ew. I don't think that's what will happen. But let's just say, maybe you do ask for those things. Who better to talk that out with than the God who can actually help? Only God can change that boss, or you, or both. And maybe you won't ask for those things, at least most of the time. Maybe you'll ask God to help your students, or heal a colleague, or comfort a friend. And I think it also happens that as we practice asking, we do pray beyond ourselves and want good beyond our own. It is a natural outcome of drawing closer to God and seeing the realities of our world. We come back and ask God to bring justice, to bring peace, to give others enough of what they need, to end oppression, and, if we're lucky, to let us be part of it. Now, after you sign off on this podcast, I'm going to give you the encouragement to take a minute with God before you go on with your day and practice asking. Because whether it's about trusting the God you ask or overcoming our natural reluctance, the next right thing for all of us to do is try. When we were together live as a group, we actually took some time to identify a trait of God's that, if we really believed it, would help us keep asking. We painted it on a rock, and then we set that rock somewhere we'd remember. People named different traits that they knew if they just leaned into trusting it, they would be the things that invited them back to asking, that kept them trying. The next right thing for all of us to do is ask. Because it would be a shame to tone down one of the most sparkling and generous promises in the whole Bible.